Section 42 of Chapters on Evolution by Andrew Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 15, The Evidence from Degeneration, Part 2. The assumption of a sedentary life, whether parasitic in nature, like that of Saculina, or whether represented by mere attachment and fixation to some inorganic thing, as in the case of the barnacles, is therefore seen to operate in the direction of producing degeneration of the animal's constitution. The tendency of such habit towards simplification of structure, and not towards that progressive advance and evolution which, in the case of the higher crustacean races, have evolved from the relatively simple nauplius of the past, the crabs, lobster, shrimps, and prawns of today. In groups of the animal series, however, both nearly allied to the crustacean class and far removed from it in structure, equally interesting and often curious examples of degradation can be found. The class of insects and the nearly related group Arachnida, including the mites, spiders, and scorpions as its representatives, number in their ranks instances of degraded and degenerate forms. Amongst the insects which are parasitic in habits, a notable absence of wings is discernible, and this latter want is seen even in those cases in which one sex alone of a particular insect species assumes the habit in question. An excellent illustration of such a fact and also of the extreme modification of form which may accompany the degeneracy of higher organized animals is found in the history of the insects collectively known as Strepsiptera and of which the genus Stylops is the best-known example. The male Stylops is an active insect, possessing a single pair of wings. These wings are the hinder pair, the front pair being represented by a pair of twisted organs which illustrate wing degeneration, possibly through disuse. Both males and females, as they leave the egg, are small, active, six-legged beings which crawl about on the bodies of bees. Carried into the hive, the young stylops behave like the proverbial viper, injuring the community which gives them shelter by boring their way into the bodies of larval or infant bees. Here the young stylops, casting their skin, become in the larval interior sluggish, footless grubs. Each possesses a mouth, small jaws, and a digestive system of simple construction. Meanwhile, bee development progresses, and as the larval bee passes through its chrysalis stage, with its stylops lodger contained in its interior, the latter thrusts the front extremity of its body from between two of the hinder body segments of the bee. Then the male stylops, undergoing development in this position, becomes the winged insect and passes into the world. The female stylops, on the other hand, remain in their places on the bees. They undergo but a slight change of form, persisting as mere sac-like bodies, without legs or digestive system, and develop in their interior the eggs from which succeeding generations of stylops will be produced. Such a case of absolute degeneracy is all the more remarkable in view of the facts that it is limited to one sex alone, and that the free-winged males of stylops are as highly organized as most of their neighbor insects. The class of spiders, arachnida, offers collective examples of degeneration and retrogression, which show how large numbers of animals may acquire lower characters, contrasting with the higher phases to which other members of their class have attained. The mites and ticks have unquestionably originated from the same rootstock as the spiders and scorpions. The development of the two groups proves this much. But whilst the latter animals have advanced to a high complexity of organization, the mites and ticks have degenerated into parasitic forms, 
or at least exemplify beings which first attaining a respectable rank in their own series have certainly not advanced upon that rank many of the mites however exhibit well-marked degeneration only on the hypothesis of sweeping retrogression can we account for the singular and anomalous condition in which a certain harmless mite named demodex folliculorum spends its existence this mite inhabits the sacs or follicles of the human skin at the sides of the nose it is a minute worm-like animal possessing eight degenerate rudiments of legs and a thoroughly rudimentary structure in other respects here parasitism has denuded the animal of well-nigh every attribute of its arachnidin character and has left it in a condition analogous in many respects to saculina itself of the equally curious linguaculuna inhabiting the frontal sinuses or forehead spaces of dogs wolves horses and sheep the same remark holds good the body here is thoroughly worm-like in shape and a digestive and nervous system are to be enumerated among the possessions of the organism but not even the rudiments of legs are to be perceived although the mouth bears certain apologies for the appendages proper to that region in the mite and spider class yet the young linguachalina exactly resembles the early form of the mites it possesses two pairs of jointed limbs and certain style-like organs pertaining to the mouth there is thus the clearest evidence that linguachalina is a degraded animal it is a degenerate descendant of a free-living and apparently four-legged or it may be eight-legged ancestor and its further history seems to afford a clue to the causes of its retrogression for the four-legged larvae of the linguachalina escape while still within the egg from the nose of the dog or sheep host which has harbored their parents received along with food into the body of the hare or rabbit the larval being liberates itself from the rabbit's digestive system it bores its way through the tissues to the liver thus reminding one strongly of the similar migrations of the embryo tapeworm in the liver further changes ensue frequent maltings become the order of the day and at length they assume a worm-like aspect and remain thus still imperfect until by transference to the body of dog wolf or sheep and by passage to the frontal sinuses they acquire perfection of their life functions if the history of these beings teaches us anything concerning their past it points to a free and active state as their original condition and to the probable acquirement first of a lodgment in the digestive system of one animal as a relatively simple parasite and secondly of a further modification of habit transferring at once its perfection and completed degradation to the forehead cavities of a second host but the conditions which make for the degeneracy of an animal are as we have seen in the case of the barnacles not always associated with a parasitic habit mere fixation as we have observed secures the disappearance of useless organs such as organs of motion and sense organs which being possessed by the young form clearly indicate that the ancestry of the animals in question has at any rate been capable of leading to better things than the descendants represent in their existent persons the sea squirts or ascidians besides serving as a text for the derivation of vertebrates and for abnormal ways in the animal chemistry which imitates the plant's work have been selected as fruitful objects of discussion by those biologists who find in the idea of degeneration an explanation of knotty points in natural history for the same voice that proclaims the fact that a sea squirt which is a mere rooted bag with a double neck begins life as a free-swimming tadpole-like larva tells us in the same breath that there must have been retrogression and degeneration from an active condition to produce the sac-like adult state
The assertion that the youthful sea squirt, moreover, possesses first a rod-like body, called a notochord, only found, besides, in the young of vertebrate animals, is also to be taken as implying the superiority of ascidian infancy to sea squirt maturity. And when it is added that the elderly squirt wants the sense organs and nervous cord which the larva possesses, it may well be argued that sheer degeneracy of habit and structure can alone account for the sweeping transformations which mark the phases of ascidian life history. Thus it is a matter of sober natural history fact that a sea squirt larva of all invertebrate animals is the only being that possesses organs and parts proper to the young vertebrate or to the adult form of one lower vertebrate in particular. This adult is the little fish known as the lancelet, which, in the relative simplicity of its organization, makes a nearer approach to the poor or sea squirt relations of the vertebrates than any other fish. The fact of vertebrate and sea squirt relationship is worth dwelling upon because the topic unquestionably presents one with a common point of view whence a survey of the higher development, evolution, and progress of the vertebrates, and a view of the degeneracy and retrogression of the sea squirts, may best be obtained. Reveling in the freedom of its early life, the larval sea squirt, presenting, as already noted, a striking resemblance to the tadpole of the frog, in its backbone, its nerve system, and its breathing sac, or modified throat, ultimately settles down. Like the youthful barnacle, somewhat, the young sea squirt attaches itself to a stone or shell by the suckers with which nature has provided its head. Then succeeds the disappearance of the tail with its backbone and its nerve cord, and the body itself soon assumes the sac-like shape that betokens the mature ascidian character. The outer skin becomes tough and leathery and develops the cellulose which by biological right we might expect to find in plants alone. Then succeeds the fuller formation of the gill sac or breathing chamber and of its neighbor compartment, which receives the effete water of respiration to be ejected by the second mouth of the sac-like body. The eye of the larva likewise disappears, and all that remains to the adult ascidian is a nerve mass called by courtesy the brain, and which serves to regulate the few acts that mark the placid and rooted existence of the race. Attention has been recently directed in a special manner to the resemblance which exists between the eye of the larval sea squirt and that of vertebrates, a statement to be taken along with that which conversely declares the unlikeness of the ascidian eye to that of all other invertebrate animals. It is matter of fact that the chief parts of the eye of a vertebrate animal grow inwards as developments from the skin and unite with an outgrowth from the brain. This outgrowth forms the retina or nervous network of the eye whereon the images of things seen are duly received for transmission to brain and sensorium. Now in invertebrate animals, the retina is formed from the skin layer. This latter method of growth, it has been remarked, is a perfectly natural one. It was to be expected that, as the retina is to be affected in the discharge of its duty by light rays, it should form on the surface of the body where the light rays fall. In the vertebrate and in the sea squirt larva, the retina, on the contrary, forms away below the skin surface, and grows outwards from the brain. Why is this so? Professor Ray Lancaster maintains that because the ascidian larva is perfectly transparent, the light rays pass through to its brain eye and thus give rise to sensations of sight. Hence, if the original and primitive vertebrate animal or rootstock were like the larval sea squirt, as we suppose it to have been, its body would be transparent and its eye or eyes situated on its brain would receive light rays through its clear body. 
but as the evolution of the vertebrate race proceeded the tissues became firmer and denser by natural selection or in other words by the exercise of accommodating power to function the eyed region of the brain would tend to grow more and more towards the body's surface to receive the rays of light as development therefore advanced the mode of growth of the vertebrate eye would be adapted to the exigencies of its new surroundings thus today the vertebrate eye grows from without inwards because light rays strike naturally on the outer surface of the body but it likewise grows from within outwards as well because of the ancestral and hereditary tendencies which cause it to repeat in the individual growth the passage to the surface it had to make in the evolution of the race if one might add a suggestion to such an explanation it would consist in an endeavor to account for that affinity between brain and outer surface of body which we see to exist why the brain should grow outwards as it does in eye ear and nose likewise to connect with the body's surface and so to form organs of sense is plain enough we must bear in mind that the brain itself is formed from the outer layer or epiblast of the larva and from the same layer which develops into the skin brain and skin to begin with arise from the same layer hence before even the matter of eyes falls to be considered the affinity of the skin layer and the nervous system is a fact worth noting it is this truest of relationships which may reasonably enough explain not merely why the sense organs arise from the skin surface but also why the brain grows outwards to meet with the structure to which it is so near akin degeneration of a very pronounced kind thus accounts for the peculiarities of sea squirt structure today the case of ascidian retrogression is likewise the more interesting seeing that its reverse side is that of progressive evolution and development of the highest forms of life the existing world knows it is therefore important to note in passing that the possibilities of development may include degeneration of a very marked type along with progressive evolution of an equally pronounced kind the category of life's extension includes in fact many possibilities which at first sight might appear of most unlikely kind and amongst these possibilities that of extreme degeneration is by no means the least notable as an element in inducing the material variety of life we behold in the animal and plant worlds of today the list of causes which lead to the degeneration of living beings includes however other fashions of producing retrogression than by fixation and parasitic habits and operates in different ways upon organisms of varied structure and of different social or biological rank changes in food and feeding may thus accomplish degeneration and induce physiological backsliding of the most typical description it is a familiar fact that the animal organism is of relatively higher nature than the plant seeing that the animal frame can as a rule feed upon and build up its tissues from organic or living matter only animals in other words demand the substance of other animals or of plants or of both combined as a necessity of their commissariat arrangements plants on the other hand are specially constructive and elaborative in their feeding they build up from the non-living matters around them carbonic acid water ammonia and minerals the tissues of their living bodies they transubstantiate this non-living matter into living tissue and the verdant tints of spring the full glory of the summer's blossom or the mellow ruddiness of autumn's fruits represents each in its way the result at once of the plant's constructive chemistry and of the elaboration into living matter of the inorganic materials of air and soil around 
The animal frame therefore presents us, amid exceptions to the above rule in both animal and plant series, with relatively greater complexity of organs and tissues than the plant body presents. This statement simply re-echoes what commonplace observation daily demonstrates. Hence, it may be a natural enough inference that whatever causes tend to bring the animal feeding nearer in type to that of the plant will tend to simplify animal structure and so to produce retrogression and degeneration of the animal type. Many animals are thus known to develop chlorophyll, or the green color we see characteristically in every leaf. Through the combined operation of this green color, either singly or aided by the leaf protoplasm and the action of light, plants decompose the carbonic acid of the air, as every schoolboy knows. They then retain the carbon to aid in the formation of starch and set free the oxygen, which thus returns to the atmosphere and is welcomed by the animal hosts. The hydra, or common freshwater polyp, many animalcules and certain worms of a low type possess this chlorophyll. Like dishonest manufacturers, they seem to have infringed the patent rights of the plant to elaborate this green color. And it is no longer matter of theory, but ascertained fact, that these green animals are capable, like the plants, of absorbing carbonic acid, usually a fatal gas to the animal constitution, and of elaborating starch therefrom like their plant neighbors. Thus a simpler mode of feeding, obviating the necessities of animal existence in the way of digestive apparatus, has apparently led to the simplification of structure. Degeneration has followed in the worms just mentioned as the result of their imitation and acquirement of vegetative powers of feeding, and it is probable that other alterations in the way of dietary of less sweeping character than that just mentioned will affect, in like retrogressive fashion, the animal constitution. End of section 42. Chapter 15. The Evidence from Degeneration. Part 2.